the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. They made the altar sacrifice before they did anything else. Because the altar sacrifice was priority. Translate. The altar sacrifice points to Jesus, Jesus, our sacrifice now, his innocent life for our sinful life. And if the altar sacrifice was priority in Ezra chapter 3, guess what it means for us as a church? It's number five on our running list here. It means to keep Jesus the priority. To keep Jesus the priority. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ezra. Sadly, there are many people in churches that are Christians in name only. Make sure you don't fall into this category. It's all about where your priorities lie. If Jesus is not at the top of that list, then there's a problem. In today's message, Pastor Gary draws out some important application from the rebuilding of the temple when the captives returned to Israel, their homeland. Even before the foundation was laid, the altar of sacrifice was built. Jesus became our sacrifice once and for all. He deserves to be first and foremost. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Ezra chapter 3 for part one of today's message titled, The Priority of Jesus, the Practice of Worship. Let's take our Bibles, go to Ezra chapter 3. Let me give a little bit of an introduction here, and then we're going to read from chapter 3 and dig out chapter 3 a little bit more. We're continuing in our series here through Ezra and then the book that follows Nehemiah in our journey straight through the Bible. Ezra and Nehemiah are both about the same time period related to the return of the Jews from 70 years of captivity in ancient Babylon back to their homeland, specifically to Jerusalem, where they will rebuild their lives, rebuild the city, rebuild the temple, and they will reestablish themselves in the community, in the land of Israel there. Their presence has been absent for 70 years. God sent them away as a way of disciplining them because he disciplines those whom he loves, the Bible says. And there are times that he wants to correct us and challenge us to get us right with him. He did that with the Jewish people. He allowed Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to come, besiege Jerusalem, take off tens of thousands of Jews to ancient Babylon, where they will spend the next 70 years. When that time was up, they returned to Jerusalem 
Jerusalem, but now they return to rubble. Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed the temple, destroyed the city, uh, in many respects destroyed some of their lives. And so now they're kind of reestablishing themselves, rebuilding everything. And these books detail that whole rebuilding time in the nation of Israel in the city of Jerusalem. And so far, as we've made our way through chapter 1 and 2, in chapter 1, we made note that God has a providential plan for our lives and for our church. We can confidently assert that because we see the providential hand of God all through the Bible, all through human history. God was miraculously at work behind the scenes, orchestrating things and doing things for his glory and for our good. We noted from Ezra chapter 1 the providence of God in that he determined 70 years would be their time of captivity in advance. It wasn't 69 years. It wasn't 71. It was 70. And right on the mark, that was God's providential plan. And then how did he bring them back? He moves the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, this pagan king, to encourage the Jews to go back to their homeland. And God had providentially selected Cyrus by name because the prophet Isaiah mentioned him by name three times 150 years before Cyrus is even born that he will be the man of the hour to encourage the Jews to go back to their homeland so with all of that providence clearly in Ezra chapter 1 we can take comfort that in our own lives God's providential hand is at work in our church God's providential hand is at work as well When we got to chapter 2 we noted that not all the Jews would return to Jerusalem from captivity In fact, most of the Jews will stay in Babylon. That isn't necessarily the right thing. It's just the reality. They got used to life in Babylon. They reestablished their lives and made the best of it in the 70 years that they were there. They had families. They built homes. They established livelihoods. Many of them were too comfortable to go back, sadly. But the ones who did go back, the Bible says, those whose hearts God had moved... Those would be the ones who would go. Those would be the ones who would give in the rebuilding of the temple. Those are the ones who would get involved in the new work of the Lord. And so that's why we have entitled this series, Ever Changing, Never Changing, because there are some things that are going to be changing. You know, there are seasons of change. And that's not just true for us as a church. That's true for you and me. Life is full of changes. I mean, you know, there are different seasons in your life. When you are a child and you grow up and then you either go off to college or you go to start a career, and so that's a season of change. Maybe you get married, that's a season of change. You have kids, that's a big season of change. And then your kids grow up, leave home, another season of change. You retire from your job, another season of change. You die, big season of change, you know? (laughs) So that's what happens, basically, you die. But there are a lot of, and then hopefully you go to be with Jesus, but there are a lot of changes that happen in the course of a lifetime. There are seasons of changes in our own church but on the other hand there will be some things that will never change around here that we will never compromise and two of those things i want you to see here from ezra chapter 3 as we learn just again some principles from chapter 3 that remind us of a couple of things that will never change and i'm going to share with you from chapter 3 let's read together i'll read verses 1 through 6 verse 1 says that when the seventh month came that is the seventh month they've been there now six months Back in Jerusalem, now the seventh month has come, and the Israelites had settled in their towns. The people assembled as one man in Jerusalem. And then Jeshua, son of Jozadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates, began to build the altar of the God of Israel. Notice that. Began to build the altar 
of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. Then in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. After that, they presented the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, and the sacrifices for all the appointed sacred feasts of the Lord, as well as those brought as freewill offerings to the Lord. On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord. Notice this. Though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. So the text tells us here in Ezra chapter 3 that the Israelites had been back in Jerusalem for six months, reestablishing themselves and starting to rebuild their lives and the city. And the first thing they do here, it's the first day of the seventh month, is they turn to each other and they say, you know what, we have got to get our priorities right here. First thing first. And what's the first thing that they do? They build the altar of sacrifice to the Lord. The first thing that they do, even before building the temple, the foundation of the temple isn't laid until further on in chapter 3. Even before the first stone is set in place for the temple, they say to themselves, we got to build the altar of sacrifice. Notice again the last verse we read, verse 6. It said, on the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. First things first. What was their priority? We're going to build the altar of sacrifice. Now, what was the altar of sacrifice? The altar of sacrifice was a 30 by 30 platform. The Bible gives us the dimensions. It was 30 feet by 30 feet 30 feet wide, 30 feet long, and it was built 15 feet high. And the Bible says that there was a ramp then on the outside of the altar of sacrifice leading up to the top platform. And the purpose of the altar of sacrifice was, just as it implies, to sacrifice animals. That the priest and the worshiper would bring the lamb, the sacrifice, up the ramp of the altar, when they got up here to the platform of this 30 by 30 foot platform, that's the place where the lamb, the offering, the animal would be sacrificed. The worshiper would lay his weight onto the head of the animal while he would then slit the animal's throat, the blood would drain. That was this altar, the altar of sacrifice. And the altar of sacrifice was the altar that connected man to God. You might ask, what is the difference between your Old Testament and the New Testament? What is the difference between Genesis to Malachi, Old Testament, and then you turn a page to Matthew and it becomes New Testament, Matthew to Revelation? The main difference between Old Testament and New Testament has to do with how we approach God and are accepted by God. Here's the problem. Man is born into sin. We're all born with a sinful human nature. There is a gap, a distance between us as sinful human beings and a holy God. And so God prescribed a method in the Old Testament. Here's how you commune with me. Here's how you connect with me. Here's how you can be accepted by me. And that system that he prescribed in the Old Testament was the animal sacrificial system. 
Now, you might read that and think, you know, is that a little barbaric? I mean, the slaughtering of animals. Why would God ask for such a thing? Here's the reason why. Because what God decided was that in order for us to be accepted by him, in order for us to approach him, there had to be the exchange. The exchange of an innocent life for a guilty life. An animal was considered an innocent life that was offered by a guilty person so that God would then accept in exchange... An innocent life on behalf of a guilty life. One life given for another. The innocent on behalf of the guilty. And so that's why in the Old Testament people would bring their animals to be sacrificed on the altar of sacrifice. Because they were offering worship to the Lord, the burnt offerings. Guilt offerings were the atonement that they needed for their own sinful condition. And this was God's prescribed method. You might think it's a little barbaric to be slaughtering animals, but it was either that or you have no acceptability and no approach to God whatsoever. So God says, this is how we're going to make it work. Now... You flip the page from Malachi to Matthew in your New Testament. The people of the New Testament, including ourselves today, have the same sin problem. We can't approach a holy God because we're sinful humanity. But the method between Old Testament and New Testament, the method of how you approach God and are accepted by God changed. And the method was that God says basically, paraphrasing, the animal sacrificial system will be put into effect until... My son Jesus comes onto the scene and that by his sacrifice on the cross, his sacrifice will be sufficient once and for all, for all time and for all people, as many as put their faith and trust in his sacrifice, his innocent life for our guilty lives, his perfect life for our imperfect lives. It was the great exchange. It was the great sacrifice where God says once and for all, no more animals, because my son, God in flesh, will serve to be the lamb, the sacrificial lamb that takes away the sins of the world. Remember that's what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus approaching to be baptized. John the Baptist said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Because Jesus then fulfilled the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. In his single sacrifice on the cross... He then made us, if we accept by faith, accepted by God. And we can then approach God on the basis of what Christ has done. That's why Hebrews 10 verse 10 says that we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's why 1 John 2 2 says that Christ Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for our sins alone, but for the sins of the whole world. That's why Ephesians 3 12 says that in Christ and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. It's because Christ then became that sacrifice to pay for our sins, to die in our place, the great exchange, an innocent life for our guilty humanity. And so, the altar sacrifice that you read there in Ezra chapter 3 points to Jesus in every way. Because the altar of sacrifice is what they would approach in order to find atonement, redemption, forgiveness from God. So the altar of sacrifice then fulfilled in the sacrifice of Jesus, okay? And then check this out. They made the altar of sacrifice before they did anything else. Because the altar of sacrifice was priority. Translate, 
The altar sacrifice points to Jesus. Jesus, our sacrifice now, his innocent life for our sinful life. And if the altar sacrifice was priority in Ezra chapter 3, guess what it means for us as a church? It's number five on our running list here. It means to keep Jesus the priority. To keep Jesus the priority. First thing they did, build the altar sacrifice. Altar sacrifice fulfilled in Jesus. So he is priority. In other words, in our church... Jesus will always be priority. This is a never-changing thing for us going forward. We will always preach Jesus, proclaim Jesus, praise Jesus, follow Jesus, pray to Jesus. It is all about Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? It's all about Jesus. Now, it might seem to some of you like, well, that's a no-brainer. That's what church is about. That's not so clear in every church. And I hear enough from those of you who have come from other churches who say, you know, they just don't teach the Bible anymore. And they don't preach Jesus. And they're not leading people to Christ. It's like Jesus all of a sudden has become very unpopular and faded out of the church. Now, please hear me on this because there's nothing worse than any church sounding exclusive. And I don't mean to infer that at all about us. There are some wonderful things that a lot of great churches are doing in our community and around the world. But the truth is that sadly, I hear it, you hear it, you've experienced it. I think more and more churches are trending further and further away from the Bible and Jesus. And I think it's reality. And so it needs to be said that going forward, whatever seasons of change might occur in the life of our church, we will always exalt Jesus. We will always preach Jesus. We will always worship Jesus, lead people to Jesus, follow Jesus, because it's all about Jesus. Now, I want you to understand another parallel here in the book of Ezra and in our day today. During the time of Ezra, it was a very, and I put this in quotes, it was a very spiritual time. And the same is true today. Spiritual in the sense of mystical, okay? Because you may not know this, but let me connect some dots of history with you. During the time period that is covered by the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, roughly 538 B.C. to 444 B.C., during that time period covered by the stories of Ezra and Nehemiah, listen to this, Buddha is in India, Confucius is in China, Socrates is in Greece. Did you know that? During the same time period of the events covered in Ezra and Nehemiah, which focus in on the Jews and life in Jerusalem. Let me tell you what was happening outside of Jerusalem. You had Buddha in India. You had Confucius in China. You had Socrates in Greece. It was a time of great spirituality and intellectual enlightenment. Nothing has changed. We live in a day of great interest in spirituality. Am I right? Is there a lot of interest in our world today in spirituality? Okay, spiritual things. And is there not a great interest or emphasis on intellectual ascent in our culture as well? Same things that we're reading about in the book of Ezra, at least in terms of world events surrounding the story of Ezra and Nehemiah. The same things are happening today. There's a great interest that people have in spirituality, the mystical, the mysterious. And why is that? I'll tell you the reason why it is. Because the Bible says that we were created in the image and likeness of God. His imprint is on our soul. And mankind was hardwired with a deep longing to connect and commune with his or her creator. And so, because we're hardwired that way, there is naturally then this interest in spiritual things. 
People in a constant pursuit of what people refer to as like, I want to seek a higher power, a higher being, a higher source. I want greater enlightenment. Why is it that people talk like that in our world today? Because we're hardwired to commune and connect with our creator. But absent knowing Jesus... Unless we understand that Jesus is the pathway to connect with our creator, unless we understand that Jesus paid the price so that we can have relationship with our creator, unless we understand that Jesus was the innocent sacrifice for our sinful lives, then you can have all the spiritual pursuit and all the intellectual ascent you want. And it's only just that, pursuing and ascending, but never arriving. Because unless you know that Jesus is the pathway to connect to the Creator and that deep longing in the human heart for connection with God, if you don't know Jesus as that pathway, as the only pathway, you can be on all kinds of spiritual journeys and never arrive. Let me illustrate this to you. I got just this uh, last month in the mail at the Hamrick household, okay? The AARP Bulletin. (laughs) How do you think that's making me feel right now, huh? The AARP Bulletin. All the people over 50 are applauding over here. Yeah, so I guess when you start to get old, you get old people's mail. So this is what came to my house, AARP Bulletin. I'm not even sure what AARP stands for. I think it's the Association of Angry Retired People. I don't really know, (laughs) because that's usually what happens. I'm home now, and I'm here to stay. (laughs) I'm afraid that that's actually going to become me. Please pray for my wife. Because I'm afraid I'm going to become a grumpy old man. Like, I'm retired now. I'm here to stay, honey. <laughs> My great fear is that, it, you know, I don't even know when to retire and I'm going to be doing that to you. It's like, turn to Ezra chapter 3 now. <laughs> anyway, back to the story. So, so I get this in the mail, AARP, all right, the bulletin for people over 50. And on the front cover, Oprah Winfrey. Everybody knows Oprah Winfrey. Very smart, very talented lady, very wealthy lady, over, worth net worth over $3 billion, okay? Very successful woman. But I want you to notice the title of this. Here's the cover story, Finding Your Spirituality. Oprah joins Americans over 50 on a search for meaning. You know, I read that and I thought, that's really sad if you're over 50 and you're still searching for the meaning, you know? But that's spirituality. No, it's not finding Christianity. It's not finding any faith. It's finding spirituality. Does it sound mystical? And if it sounds mystical, it's because it is. In the article, I read the whole thing, and in the article, she was asked many questions. Here's one of the questions she was asked, and I want you to listen to the answer as well. Here's the question. Quote, some people question whether you can be a Christian and also embrace so-called New Age philosophies. How would you respond to that? Here's her answer. Quote, she says, I can't define God, so to be open to the mystical and mystery of God is a natural part of myself. It's working for me, and has worked for me, and continues to work for me, in a way that fills me with a sense of peace and contentment about what God means to me. Well, that explains it all now, doesn't it? Now I understand. You know what this reminds me of? Look at how she starts out. I can't define God. And she talks about how mystical he is and mysterious that he is. It reminds me actually of the philosophy of Mahatma Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi said God is that indefinable something that we all feel but which we cannot know. He was wrong. 
We can know God. We can have relationship with our creator. We can know him through Jesus, his son, our Lord. But if it sounds mystical on her part, it's because it's intended to be. There was nothing in any of her answers having to do with Jesus whatsoever. So, of course, it sounds mystical. In fact, even in the article further, she used terms like interfaith connectedness and deepening of spirituality and yearning of the heart and the power of the divine. But never once does she mention Jesus. And I want you to also notice the great emphasis on me in her quote. I highlighted it for you. Can you see this? She says, I can't define God, so to be open to the mystical and mystery of God is the natural part of myself. It is working for me, and has worked for me, and continues to work for me in a way that fills me with a sense of peace and contentment about what God means to me. This is the religion of me. Throughout this Old Testament book, Ezra reminds the Israelites that they are God's people and that God has not forgotten them. We hope that listening to Cornerstone Connection also reminds you that God has not forgotten you and that you belong to Him. If you'd like to learn more about Cornerstone Connection or hear more teachings by Pastor Gary, we have a few ways to do that. One way is downloading our mobile app, or you can subscribe to the Cornerstone Connection podcast. If you look online at cornerstoneconnection.cc, you'll also find additional messages as well as companion resources that offer a deeper look into Pastor Gary's studies. You mean a lot to us here at Cornerstone Connection, and we'd love to hear from you. Our number is 703-771-1500. That's 703-771-1500. Cornerstone Connection comes to you as a ministry of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. We'd love to meet you in person, so come see us Sundays at 830, 10, or 1145 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. for our time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today, but join us again for more from God's Word right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.